This is Boom Goddess Radio, igniting inspiration in primetime women. We are Jennifer Davis-Page, B.B. Peters, and Dr. Andrea Gould. This is Andrea Gould of Boom Goddess Radio, and we'll be spending time today with Maria Jenis, one of the organizers of the Tucson March, and a very experienced activist in human rights. So I'm sitting here with Maria Jenis, who is one of the main organizers of the Tucson Women's March in coordination with the Solidarity March this Saturday, the 21st of January, coming right up. That's right. Can you tell me the story of how it sort of came to be for you? Well, I was looking on the internet the day after the election, looking for something to do, some positive way to respond. I was quite shocked by the election. It was not what I was thinking was going to happen. And I noticed that people were beginning to organize a uh, Women's March on Washington, and that Shauna Anderson here in Tucson has started a page on Facebook for a Tucson Women's March. So I think I was the fifth or sixth person to like it and to get together with Shauna. Two weeks after the election, people here in Tucson put together a progressive get-together with tables from all the different peace and justice and women's groups here in Tucson. It was outside, it was like a festival. And Shana and I both had the thought that that's where we have to go to recruit more people to join the Women's March. I met up with Shana there and we sat down on a staircase together and talked for about half an hour and realized that we were a really good complement to each other. How so? Shauna is a super people organizer. She's very experienced in project management on a corporate level. She's extremely confident, extremely practical. And I think what I brought to the equation was decades of experience in how to organize a march and how to organize a rally and how to reach out to other people. And so we decided to pair up and to work together. And we've been doing that for um, almost three months. There's something about women pairing up and co-laboring, co-laborating, that is almost the hallmark of what can come forth from partnering, supplementing, and complementing one another. And it's extraordinary, too. The women that we're reaching are middle-aged to retired and they are so extraordinarily confident. You know, you bring them into a room for a banner-making party, and there's 60 women in the room, and you say, well, here are the materials, here's what you can do, and they just organize themselves. And they're so capable and confident and needing to do something with all that experience. That is such a critical point. And I think of all the eggs that a woman can carry and all the lives that she's capable of spawning. And here we have a very good description of exactly that, of co-creativity. I think that's exactly right. I've been amazed. Every time I type 20 words on Facebook, inviting people to come and do something, I am just overwhelmed by the mature women that respond. And so there's something very particularly contagious 
these days about connection that it feels like a necessity it does i can't imagine the last three months if i hadn't made this connection with other women that are militant in their defense of the rights we've won in the last 50 years and women's issues include black lives matter it includes immigrant rights because as women that's who we are Say a little bit more about, um, if you will, the feminine imperative to support life. It's something I feel really strongly. I know when I was in my 20s and 30s, um, I wasn't a mother. I was extremely active socially, and that was my product. And when I hit 38, 39, I decided I really wanted to be a mom. And we adopted my son from Vietnam. I think for the last 16 years, I've been mostly a mom. And I liked being a mom so much that I decided to become a teacher because I really like being around teenagers. And not very many people do, and they can tell that. So those of us that do like teenagers should work with them because I have right now, it feels like I have another 158 kids. After the election, that wasn't enough for me. I needed to reach out even more and pull thousands of people together here in Tucson to assert our rights and the fact that if we're pushed, we're going to push back. There's a shift, a slow shift, and then almost a quantum shift, it sounds like, between wanting to be a mom, being a mom, nurturing, then nurturing more children, then coming to a place where there's a decision to reach even greater numbers of people. I think that's extraordinary. That multiplier effect within yourself. And I also know that you teach biology. Do you see any um, concordance in those two factors? I know it's a little abstract. And you a very abstract thinker. I'm an abstract thinker, and I've always, my inspiration for teaching is Paolo Freire. I truly believe that, especially in biology, when you start looking at contradictions, you start opening up the contradictions in all of society. Paolo Freire wrote a book called Pedagogy of the Oppressed. In it, he teaches that real teachers are not pouring information into empty minds. They're leading people that have a background, that have a great deal of social capital, that's often not recognized by society, to uncover for themselves the contradictions in society and to be literate to do that, to recognize the importance of literacy. That's how I teach. I lead people to uncovering contradictions. Teenagers are so extraordinarily focused on their sexuality that um, when you pose something simple, like the duality that we teach in our society of either you're a male or you're a female, doesn't really have a lot of basis in biology. Like when I ask boys in the room, why do you have nipples? There's this horrified gasp across the room and they uncover the fact that they all started out as female. And then at a certain point, 
six or seven weeks into gestation, they were flooded with testosterone and their ovaries descended to be testicles. That's a flash of lightning that just reverberates across their world. That's an amazing illustration of exactly what we were talking about abstractly, which is what it is fundamentally about female energy that really has found its place now socially and societally. And we are on that point of recognizing it and capitalizing on it. That's an extraordinary insight. The implications for women's leadership, by your example, is it's just necessary to to begin to have that kind of dialogue going on. I have a question for you. Almost every woman to whom I've spoken is excited and happy to be coming to the march. And at the same time, they've expressed various sorts of, of trepidations and fears and concerns and anxieties. Let's take them one by one. Okay, I think that would be great. I think it would be great too. Some women are unclear about despite the fact that on Facebook it is stated and, and, it's, and it's written that your mission, our mission with this march is not a polarization mission. It's not a contra or against mission. It's a pro-social mission for all civil rights. Somehow women are afraid to be associated with a movement that could possibly be construed as against the incoming administration and therefore ignite some kind of punishing response. You know, what I said earlier about contradictions coming into focus, the, the closer we get to January 21st, the sharper that question is posed. Is this an anti-Trump march? Or is this a pro-woman march? I think there's room for both people in the march. I think that's one thing I'd like to get across. We're not censoring anybody. If you want to bring a sign that says, Dump Trump, go ahead. But the message that we're trying to get across is a positive one. The community that we've had for many years, that we fought for, and that we feel is at risk right now. And we want to defend it. And we feel that the best way to defend it right now is with a positive view, with a view of the society that we want to build, where every human being is, is treated with dignity and respect. Like, I've seen marches that are personalized, and they get very ugly. I was a garment worker in New York City during Tiananmen Square, and I got together with literally tens of thousands of Chinese garment workers for a march against what was the brutality, the repression in Tiananmen Square. What frightened me was the personalized attacks that came out of the Maoist political philosophy, personalizing problems. What everyone was chanting was down, down, Li Peng, who was the premier at the time. And that's not the kind of march I want to organize. You spoke about having decades of rally mobilization and march organization. Can you talk about when in your own development that became such an avenue for expression for you? I was just out of college in 1981. I started to learn about 
the death squads in El Salvador, the U.S. role in backing the Contras against the Nicaraguan Revolution. I think my first protests were against placement of cruise missiles in Europe. I just found that I'm, I'm a very rebellious person. There was tremendous appeal to me in joining these social justice movements. I remember defending abortion clinics. I remember mobilizing in the streets to stop Operation Rescue, which we were successful in doing. We had mass mobilizations in Wichita that drove back Operation Rescue and basically put an end to it. So I, I think all my life I've been something of a rebel and a woman who um, wanted to choose who she was going to be. Let's talk a little bit about being a rebel, acting rebelliously, and social justice. We all have different kinds of energy. There's fiery energy, there's pacifying energy, and all the energies have a place in this world. It's interesting in talking about one's nature as rebellious, certainly with a cause, so a rebellious nature plus a sense of mission makes an interesting pairing. That certainly does. Yes. You don't always win. I've lost a lot of battles. So I know what it is what it's like to lose a big battle and then go on and live to fight for the next battle. Nicely said. I would like to ask you if you have words of wisdom for the women who have generalized anxiety about being in a crowd, about marching in the rain, about wanting to take a stand and being afraid that something might happen. So many women have voiced those concerns. Words of wisdom? Well, I'm in charge of security at this march and nothing bad is going to happen. Um, I'm working with the police department very closely. I'm working with the city of Tucson. It gives, um, it carves out a lot of political space for this event to happen, to have the mayor address us at Armory Park, to have uh, Congressman Grijalva march with us and speak at the library. Um, the police don't want anything bad to happen at this. This is not a wild anarchist streak show. This is, this is a very carefully planned, legitimized demonstration of our common humanity. And if you haven't been at one of these before, I invite you to come because they're a lot of fun. I know um, I may have a different personality. I know during Operation Rescue Days, my husband, whenever I get depressed, would tell me, go defend an abortion clinic. You'll feel so much better. And it's true. If I went and defended an abortion clinic, I felt so much better. Like we were saying before, we have different kinds of energy. The question that a lot of people have is, where do I put my energy? Sometimes, There's... yeah, sometimes the level drops so low that people can't even find their energy. Well, come and stand on, stand on the periphery. You're not going to be pushed into, um, you're not going to be herded. Uh, you're welcome to stand on the edges, to choose to come maybe just to the rally at the library. I know a lot of women that were active against the ERA 
are in wheelchairs now or on walkers. And I would invite them to park in the disabled parking under the library, stay in the library if it's raining, come out. Uh, we are setting up, we're, we have bent over backwards to make this an accessible march. We're gonna set up a tent. We're gonna set up chairs for disabled people. We have a sign language interpreter. We are renting six wheelchairs and stationing them at Armory Park in case somebody comes and then realizes that they don't have the strength to march. We will give you a wheelchair and push you so that you can join us. This is a loving march. This is a joyful expression of being a woman and being proud of being a woman and just completely rejecting the objectification of women that we saw in this election cycle and saying, I am not a Barbie doll. You will not rate me on a scale of one to 10. I am a capable person who is so much deeper and so much more important than their physical characteristics. Just in organizing this event, you have been reminded of the resourcefulness, particularly of the middle-aged and older women who really just release their creativity and their experience and collaborate it to create whatever, whatever word you want to use at the end, but to absolutely be unlimited in terms of their creativity. One of our problems right now is we have 120 volunteers and people keep on asking us, please, please let me volunteer to do something. And we're running out of things for people to do. <laughs> and people are a little bit peeved at us because we can't assign them a special thing to do. The people that I'm organizing for peacekeeping, we have 10 people from Veterans for Peace. We have about 20 middle-aged to retired women. And I'm busy recruiting younger women. And we're going to invite people to pair up if they feel like pairing up. We're gonna be at the periphery because there might be a counter protest, we don't know. We haven't heard very much in the way of rumblings about one, but our goal is to act as a buffer between any counter protest and our event and to not engage. That's a great, it's a great vision. So, nine o'clock on Saturday morning, there's going to be a peacekeeping meeting. I'm conducting the meeting and we've already done a walkthrough. We already walked the route, looked at where we need to turn the march, checked out the space at the library. One other thing we noticed is a lot of homeless people, that's their home. We want to be respectful of the fact that we're putting a stage up in other people's home. And so a lot of our volunteers are bringing what's called blessing bags, which I don't know if anybody's heard of that, but they're like, you take like a quart-sized Ziploc bag and put in things that are helpful to homeless people, like personal care items like chapstick or hand washes, clean socks, beef jerky and granola bars. And we're gonna be passing those out. What a beautiful idea. I, I really want to help you get that word out because I think even if we've got some left over for next I, month, I keep them. I keep them in my car, and when people are uh, when I when I drive by people that are begging on the side of the street, I give them one of the bags, and people this light shines in their face. They say, "Man, I love these." 
Thank you so much. Yeah, I think that's a really worthwhile place also to engage with the young people. I do think that we all believe, especially us women of middle and later age, uh, how beautiful the intergenerational connection is, how necessary it is, and how this, like any event that has enough publicity to be visible, is a great starting point and a great activate and a great activating point for young people. I'm sponsoring the Tucson High Human Rights Club. We just had our first meeting on Friday. We had 15 kids there. I think a lot of them felt some of the trepidation that you were describing earlier of not having been activists before and wondering what this is going to be like and we're really happy and relieved when I told them that you're in charge. This is for you to decide what you want to do. And so one of their first decisions is they're going to go to Trader Joe's and ask for the flowers that are a little bit out of date. And we're going to put tags on them that say Tucson High Human Rights Club. And we're going to pass them out on campus. We just want to make somebody's day a great day. And I think that's the sweetest thing for 16, 17 year olds to do for each other. We're going to go on to wherever they want to take this. They were at the banner making party last Saturday. I think five or six of my students came. And the energy they brought to it was so welcome by the older women. How much wattage that's responsible for in lighting up an older woman. But the intergenerational connection is one of those completely energizing kinds of connections. Well, and so many of my students come from the Mexican-American community where respect and, and from the Tejano Autumn and Yaqui community where respect for their elders is part of their culture. They're so kind to me. I know everybody has this vision of gangbangers at Tucson High and scary kids that eat substitute teachers. <laughs> But um, they are so kind to me. I've been in a wheelchair at Tucson High. I've been on crutches. I've been on a knee walker. And kids fall over each other trying to help carry my things and open doors for me and make sure that I don't stand up when I shouldn't be standing up and basically teach my class for me <laughs> if I need to sit down. What a sweet description. And, of course, it should not go without saying that there's complete reciprocity there. They see your love and they return that love. And isn't that what this is all about? I think it is because things can get so ugly in this country so fast. And I just want to stand in the way of that. I think that's a beautiful mission, Mariah. For more information, visit our website, boomgoddessradio.com and follow us on Facebook, Boom Goddess. We'd love to hear from you. Your interest powers our programs.